Jesus said, if you'll drink of the living water, you will never thirst again. Amen. We rejoice today that the Lord is King. I want you to join us as we worship together and sing. Rejoice, the Lord is King. And I want to see it on your faces. Amen. Amen. Everybody take two fingers and do like this. Take two fingers and put them on your face and push up. That's what we need today. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Let's stand together and sing. Rejoice, the Lord is King.
to God. Amen. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people today and forever. We sing glory to God forever. Join us as we sing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever.
I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus made it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Let's pray. 
Father, it's a season for thanksgiving, and certainly today we want to be thankful for all the things that you've done for us. We certainly are thankful for you coming and paying the price for our sin on the cross. Lord, I hope that we can respond to that, live a life that's pleasing to you after we've accepted that gift from you. Lord, we're also thankful for many physical and material blessings that you've given to us also. Lord, today we want to return some of that. We want to participate in the ministry here and take the gospel to those who are unsaved and encourage those who have put their faith in Christ. Lord, I ask that you would be with Pastor Stewart as he speaks to us today. Speak through him and encourage us and convict us of the things that we need to do to live a life more pleasing to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking Draw from my well that never shall run dry Fill my cup, Lord I lift it up, Lord Come and quench this thirsting of my soul Bread of heaven Feed me till I want no more Fill my cup Fill it up and make me the wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ my Lord. Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me This world gave you Leave hungers that won't pass away My blessed Lord will come 
This morning we encounter that woman barely existing within a spiritual desert. And she ends up coming to life as she drinks of the living water of Jesus Christ. And as she discovers who Jesus is and what he has to offer and how she can get it, she is transformed and finds that she has a story to tell. Our text this morning is John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42. We want to set the context this morning by beginning to read at verses 1 through 6 of John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Uh, Palestine is only 120 miles from north to south. It's not even as tall as Louisiana is wide. We think of it as being a much larger place, but it's quite small. But even in Jesus' day, even though it's relatively short, 120 miles, there were three distinct divisions. To the extreme north was Galilee, to the extreme south was Judea, and in the middle was Samaria. Jesus and his disciples were on their way from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, which meant they had to go through Samaria, John says. Or did they? Few other Jews would have. Though going through Samaria was the quickest route, most Jews took the Hebrew traffic loop around Samaria. <laughs> They would cross the Jordan River to the east, just south of Samaria, go up the eastern side of the Jordan River, cross over the Jordan to the north of Samaria, and then enter Galilee. It took twice as long, but it was the route of choice for most Jews. The reason for that was Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't have much love for Jews either. The Jews disliked the Samaritans because they were of mixed ancestry, a mixing that occurred during the exile period. And so the Jews felt that the Samaritans were inferior. 
So therefore, they avoided traveling through Samaria. However, John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria because the distance was shorter. No. Uh, Because there was a traffic jam on the Hebrew traffic loop. No. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an inner compulsion to do so. He had a divine appointment. So therefore, Jesus and his disciples make their way up the highway. And if you've ever walked a long way on a hot day, you know you get tired and thirsty. And it was noon on a hot day in Palestine. And Jesus and his disciples were hot and thirsty. They'd been walking a long way and it was time for a break. So they came to a fork in the road there just a a few half a mile south of the Samaritan village of Sychar. And it was a good place to stop because in that fork in the road was where Jacob's well was. A great place to stop, get some refreshment. This fork in the road and historic well would prove very significant on this particular day for a particular Samaritan woman The fork in the road would become a fork in her life and the well would become the place where a geyser of living water would flood her soul. Jesus sat down by the well. Disciples went into town to get some lunch. And no doubt Jesus welcomed the rest. He was hot. He was physically tired. And so here at this well, Jesus sat and rested. Perhaps he closed his eyes a moment. And as he did, he heard the falling footsteps of his divine appointment. We pick up the story in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now that this woman comes to this well seems quite normal to us. I mean, however, if we consider the customs of the time, it was quite odd. Fetching water was a woman's job, but most women drew the water either in the early morning or in the late evening, afternoon, when the temperature was much cooler. Going to the well was a time of work, but it was also a time for social gathering. As the women gathered at the well, they greeted one another, they chatted it up as they waited for one another to draw their water, and then they could all go back to their homes. This woman, however, goes at midday, and she goes alone. Further, there was likely a well inside the town of But this woman draws water a well a half a mile outside of town alone and at noon. Why is that? Well, there's only one reason, really. She wasn't welcome at the other well and she wasn't welcome with the other women. Why was that? Well, in a few verses, we'll find out that she was promiscuous with men and consequently, she was cold-shouldered by the women. And no doubt, she felt beaten down and so she goes alone. There's little doubt that she too was tired that day. Maybe a little different weariness than Jesus experienced, but being ostracized weighs on you. It can make you bitter. It can make you crass and cold and... When she found that there was a Jewish man at the well, she may have thought, well, great. 
But the moment Jesus saw her, he probably thought the same thing. Well, great. But it was with a different thought and a different tone because she was the reason he had to go through Samaria. Jesus breaks the ice with the request, will you give me a drink? And her reply reveals her crassness. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? There were a couple of things wrong with this situation. First, Jesus was a man and she is a woman. Men were taught to not even speak to women in public. No cowboy tipping of the hat, ma'am. No southern, how's it going? Nothing. The strictest of rabbis went even farther, not even to speak to their own wife, daughter, or sister in public. And then there were some Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they saw, when they, if they saw a woman in public, they would cover their eyes and therefore bump into walls and houses along the way. So the fact that we have a man and a woman talking to one another is a problem. But the problem's only exacerbated by a second reason because Jesus is a Jewish man and she is a Samaritan woman. Samaritan plus woman equals about as low and as awful as you could go in Jewish sentiments. It's hard to get a grasp on the intense racial hatred that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was prejudice to the nth degree and it went both ways. Most applicable on this day was the thought that eating the food of a Samaritan was as despised by the Jews as eating pork. And Jesus not only spoke to this woman, but he also asked for her to give him a drink using her drinking utensil. In order to drink, Jesus' lips would touch where her lips had touched. Jesus should not be asking her for a drink. And she should not be giving it. Things like that are just not done. The whole situation was full of prejudice. And her question reveals it. A woman against a man. A woman against a rabbi. A Samaritan against a Jew. Her prejudice involved gender, social position, race, nationality, religion. If the religious police had been around, they might have stoned Jesus on the spot, shouting, unclean, unclean. But Jesus. Jesus pays no attention to the cultural and religious taboos. He not only speaks to her, he looks at her, he treats her as a real person, not a woman, not a Samaritan, but a person. Jesus crossed barriers, demonstrated a ministering heart. I wonder, do you? How do you treat someone who is socially outcast or religiously outcast or racially outcast? Do you cast them aside? Do you send them to the church down the street? Or do you reach out? Sometimes we veil our prejudices in pragmatism. We say homogeneity is the most effective evangelism. Reach people like you, of your own socioeconomical level, of your own race, of your own preferences. And there's some truth to that. However, too often our pragmatism veils our prejudice. 
They will be ministered to better elsewhere. They won't be comfortable here. And maybe so and maybe no, but let them make the choice. You don't make it for them. Reach out in love just like Jesus did. Jesus reached out to everybody. Just in the last chapter, in John chapter 3, we read of Jesus ministering to a cultured, powerful, and righteous Jew, Nicodemus. And here in John chapter 4, we read of him reaching an unknown, immoral, Samaritan peasant. Yet they both needed to be born again. And Jesus had something for them both. Do you? Jesus answers the woman in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming down here to draw water. Jesus knew that this lady would never find a right relationship with other people or herself until she had a right relationship with God. He knew that only as she had life could she have a right attitude toward life. And therefore, Jesus offers her water that will give eternal life. Now, Jesus was not saying that he knew the location of the mysterious fountain of youth. He was saying That there's a fountain of which one sip can bring true life, purposeful life, abundant life, even eternal life. Humanity needs air, light, food, and water in order to have life. And the same is true in our spiritual life. And one of the cool things that John does throughout his gospel is show us how Jesus is that source of life. He is the breath of the Spirit of God. He is the light of of life. He is the bread of life and here he is the water of life. To the Jew, living water was a running water, a, a running stream. And running water was preferred over well water. Jacob's well did not have running water. It was not a well that dipped down into an underground aquifer or something. The water in it percolated up from the subsoil. And so therefore, the woman says, you're offering me stream water. Where are you getting it? Furthermore, Jesus had a a bigger problem. He didn't have anything to dip with. And normal travelers in the day would carry some rope with them and a leather foldable bucket of sorts that they could then use to get water from whales. Jesus did not have that. So the woman says, where can you get this water since you have nothing with which to draw? The woman thinks Jesus is talking about stream water. She has no clue he's talking about spiritual water. But the Jews had another way of using the word water. They often spoke of the thirst 
for the soul after God and of quenching the thirst with living water. The prophet Isaiah promised that the chosen people would draw water with joy from the wells of salvation in Isaiah 12 verse 3. The psalmist spoke of his soul being thirsty for the living God in Psalm 42 1. God's promise in Isaiah 44 3 was I will pour water on the thirsty land. The summons was that everyone who was thirsty should come to waters and freely drink in Isaiah 55 1. And Ezekiel had envisioned a river of life in Ezekiel 47. Many more times in the Old Testament, living water is used for God. So Jesus was not using terms that were bound to be misunderstood. He was using terms that anyone with spiritual insight and biblical understanding would have understood. But this woman had none of that. She was lost. So she thinks Jesus is offering water and quenches, quenches physical thirst. So, so she says, likely in jest, well, get me this water so that I won't keep getting thirsty and have to keep coming to this well. She didn't understand. But Jesus understood her. And Jesus picks up her jest and turns the conversation back serious. He tells her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus tells her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replies. It, it was the truth, but it was a half-truth. The lady's pretending everything is just fine. And it's fine to pretend you're fine unless you're in the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus can see into your heart. So Jesus says, go get your husband. And the woman says, I have no husband. And then suddenly Jesus brings her to her senses. The time for jesting is over. It's time to get down to business. Jesus peers into her heart and he says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. It's just not totally true. I imagine the woman stiffened as if a sudden pain had seized her. She recoiled as with a Sudden shock, the blood drained from her face, her palms grew cold and damp, she was caught. But she also finally saw herself as she really was. See, you don't really see yourself until you see yourself in the presence of Christ. And then if you're living in sin, you cannot help but be appalled at the sight. For our best falls far short of his purity. And so the woman comes face to face with her sin and that's where Christianity begins, with a sense of sin. It begins with the sudden realization that life as we are living it will not do. We awaken to ourselves and we awaken to our need for God. That's called conviction. And conversion can't happen without conviction. I'm thankful that when I was a boy, God stirred my heart and taught me that it didn't matter that my daddy was a deacon and my mommy taught Sunday school 
It didn't matter that one memory verse competition and it was, I was at church more than most kids. I was still a sinner. And I needed Jesus to forgive me of those sins. Further, if I wanted to go to heaven one day, I needed Jesus in my life. Conversion came out of conviction. But you know something? In the 30 years since that, conviction hasn't stopped. You know, I'm glad that since that time on plenty of occasions, Jesus has brought me to face sin in my own life, to confess it and to move on from it so that I might grow in my relationship with him. And many of you could speak of when Christ broke into your life and brought you face to face with your sin and then brought you to salvation. For some, it's when you were young, others of it when you were teenagers, some of you when you were adults. Perhaps... You also can testify of the times of conviction since when Jesus has pointed out sin in your life and he's brought you to forgiveness and he's helped you to move from it. Remember something. If Jesus has forgiven you of your sin, he has forgotten your sin. If you're remembering it, it's not Jesus reminding you of it. It's the enemy. Satan is the accuser. He wants you to get hung up on your past. So you cannot enjoy the future Jesus has for you. And so you can't be used by him. So are you letting Satan hold you back? If so, why? If Jesus has let it go, you let it go. This woman's about to find out how incredible it is to let go of sin and grab hold of God. She was more than at a literal fork in the road. She was at a fork in the road of her life. And so here at midday on a hot day, a woman living in a spiritual desert meets the living water. All her life had been trying to fill the emptiness inside her. All of her life, she'd been trying to quench the thirsting of her soul. She thought she could find that emptiness by finding Mr. Right. But after six tries, she still hadn't found Prince Charming. If there ever has been a woman who was looking for love in all the wrong places, this is that woman. But she's suddenly compelled to face the total inadequacy of her life. The only thing her attempts to fill her emptiness have done is alienate her from the rest of people. Therefore, she finds herself at midday, every day, at a well, a half mile out of town, all by herself. The very thing that she had used to escape her loneliness continued to make her loneliness worse. And that's the trouble with sin or anything else we use to try to replace God. It simply will not last. In fact, it'll eventually end up leaving us thirstier than when we started. At first, it may seem to satisfy but eventually sin will always, always take more than he gives. It's like drinking salt water. For a moment it seems to do the trick. But unfortunately the more you drink, the thirstier you become. And so you keep on drinking, getting thirstier and thirstier and drinking more and getting thirstier until finally you die. All the salt you drank demands too much water for your kidneys to keep functioning so you die of dehydration, the very thing you were trying to avoid in the first place. And that's how sin works. It's a false satisfier that winds up killing. 
This woman has been drinking salt water that never satisfies, but Jesus is offering her living water that completely and forever satisfies. He, he wants to fill the void of her soul. He says, lady, if you will just drink of me, you will never be thirsty again. You'll never have to deep longing that can't seem to be satisfied. In fact, you'll have so much satisfaction, so much love, so much joy, so much peace that it'll actually bubble up inside your soul and pour out to others. Well, the woman's blown away by Jesus, who she now knows is more than just a Jew. He's a prophet as well, but he is not long only a prophet to her. For when Jesus mentions this thing about worship, it may have been that she was wanting to offer a sacrifice for her sins. But Jesus gives her, gives her a glimpse of true worship. The woman replies in verse 25, oh, sir, I... I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declares in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. His statement is powerful. In the original text, the emphasis of the phrase is on the words ergo I me, which is I am and to that woman right there who would have known what he was saying, that would have brought to her mind and to anybody else's mind who had heard it with any kind of connection to the Old Testament, God's revelation of his holy name to Moses, I am. No doubt the woman caught this and it was an amazing moment. And so here Jesus reveals himself very clearly as the Messiah to a Samaritan peasant, sinful woman. It was an amazing moment. It was one of those goosebumps moments. But guess who shows up with burgers and fries just the wrong moment? The disciples. It sounds like it was an awkward moment even as you read it in verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? But it didn't deter anything. They show up, the conversation stops, but look what happens in verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of town. And made their way toward him. The woman runs off leaving her water pot. And that tells us two things. One, she was in a hurry to share her experience with others. But second, she was planning to come back. So she runs off into town and goes to the very people who ostracized her. And she says to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She was saying, you all know my story. Many husbands, many relationships, living with someone right now. You know my story. You talk about me behind my back. But I have a new story. It's a new story of a new life. And this desire to tell others her new story killed the feeling of shame within her. And she couldn't wait to tell them. And so she said, you know my old story, but hear my new story. Look at what I was and look at what I am. This is what Jesus has done for me. Folks, when Jesus forgives and redeems, you have a new story to tell. 
You don't stay in the past. You move forward with him into the future. You can be used by Jesus in a big way just as this woman was. This lady is excited. She wants to let people know all about what happened. When you are seized by the grace and love of Jesus as this woman has been, his name and his fame become the desire of your heart. She runs off telling her new story. And the result is Jesus' name and fame spread like a tsunami of living water. Look at verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. They're wanting to find out. They're like, okay, let's follow her. And they all go. But let's not stop there. Look down at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Come, see, could this be? And the people came and they heard and they believed and they invited Jesus to stay two days longer and more believed. All because of a sinful woman meeting Jesus, experiencing the living water and allowing that water to flow through her life. When Jesus brings forgiveness to you, you have a story to tell. And that story can help others come to Jesus as well. What's your story today? Is it one of sin and shame or is it one of spiritual victory? Is it one whispered in the shadows or is it one made new by the transforming power of Jesus Christ? You know, we may have members in our church who have stories of lives of sin before they came to Christ that would beat the socks off this woman's story. But their testimonies of what Jesus does when he floods into your life. There are others of us who were saved as children and we don't have stories of lives of sin, but we certainly deal with temptation and much too often we decide to drink of salt water instead of living water. All of us who are saved though have the story of spiritual victory because we know Christ as the living water. But some of you, perhaps you, who are still in the spiritual desert of sin need to take a drink of the living water today. You're drinking salt water, continually trying to satisfy yourself, but that will never do. You're wondering even why you're never satisfied. So this morning, will you drink of the water of Jesus? You can do that just as this woman did by repenting of your sin and putting your complete trust in Jesus. Won't you have your story rewritten this morning? We all have a story. Every single one of us. Why don't you let yours become a story worth telling today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful for the redemption that you bring. 
the forgiveness that you offer and the transformation that is always complete and total. And so Lord, we come before you this morning lifting up those in this room who've yet to take a drink of the living water. I pray, Lord, that they will not leave here today without doing so. Lord, help them to come face to face with their need for you, that they would admit their need, that they would believe that you are who, they, who you say you are and that they would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Give them conviction to do that. Give them the courage to do that. And may they commit themselves to you today. Lord, for others in this room who are seeking a church home, that their life might grow in their walk with you, I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage them today to make that decision. And there are other decisions that we may need to make. We may need to let go of something that we keep beating ourselves up with or tearing ourselves down with. Lord, help us to let it go so that we can be used by you in a mighty way. Lord, we ask that you would mold us and make us have your own way in us this morning during this time of invitation is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.